This is Hear Me Out. I'm Celeste Headley. To paraphrase and, and slightly twist the words of Taylor Swift, why aren't we exhausted by rooting for the anti-hero? We live in an attention economy. That's a cliche at this point. But if you're online ever, you've probably seen an increase recently in jokes posted about bad people, sometimes rooting for bad people. Consider George Santos and Gypsy Rose Blanchard, two people who have been shunned by society in different ways, punishing them for undeniable misdeeds and then rewarded in other ways. These people are raking in money on social media. They're being invited on talk shows. They're being called icons and they're the butt of a lot of jokes. But at what point is that the same kind of reward as all that other stuff? A lot of the times the answer is it's funny because Republicans like George Santos are so dumb and it doesn't matter. And then Trump becomes president again. And it's like, uh oh, wait, oops, I didn't mean that. Rachel Greenspan joins us once again to argue for discretion in memeing. Stay with us. Welcome back to Hear Me Out. I'm Celeste Headley. In the words of Lady Gaga, you live for the applause. Are you like Tinkerbell? If we stopped clapping, would you disappear? No. You wouldn't? No. What could we do to get you to go away? Stop inviting me to your gigs. Mm. The lesson is to stop inviting you places. But you can't, because people want the content. That was a clip of an interview between former Congressman George Santos and internet comedian Z-Way. And look, we can't actually say it any better than George Santos did. People on both sides of the aisle would probably love it if George Santos disappeared. But as long as people can't look away from the dumpster fire that is his political career, he will continue to remain in the public eye. And there's another topical example of this phenomenon. Gypsy Rose Blanchard, the famous victim of Munchausen by proxy, who helped murder her abusive mother, Dee Dee, in 2015. Gypsy Rose was released on parole a few weeks ago and has rocketed to social media fame in that time. She's got 9.3 million followers on TikTok, another 8.3 million on Insta. And like George Santos, she's being called iconic, often by young social media users who probably don't remember the classic icons like Jackie Kennedy and Audrey Hepburn. There is a legitimate question here. This isn't just about memes, but there's a question about whether it's healthy for society to be drawn to even obsessed by stories about problematic public figures. Think about all the people watching O.J. Simpson speed down the highway in that white Ford Bronco. When are the jokes, the inevitable jokes, about not great people funny? And when is it unethical to post yet another, or even dangerous, to post yet another meme about George Santos? We are joined once again by Rachel Greenspan. She's a writer and a social strategist, and now uh, among the elite number of repeat guests to hear me out. Welcome back. Woo, great to be here again. Thank you, Celeste. So I'll let you articulate your opinion uh, yourself. What's your message here? Truly, my message here is that it's concerning, I would say, that as a culture, um, as an increasingly online culture in particular, we're so quick to laugh at public figures with kind of questionable ethical experiences who are in the public eye for all kinds of reasons. Of course, you know, Gypsy Rose Blanchard is very, very different figure a very different uh, set of lived experiences from George Santos. We're talking about them for for different reasons, but they're both pointing to this trend of 
us just kind of not taking people seriously in a way. Um, and I think, uh, again, very different examples. So they're kind of indicative of, of different elements of why that is dangerous. But I think, especially it being an election year, in terms of George Santos becoming this this meme, this kind of figure who's who's called an icon, who's called a king, who's called a queen, who is laughed at by both the right and the left, isn't really sitting right in a year where we have a former president running for office again this year who is known for also saying and doing kind of funny, absurd things in the public eye. And we know how that's gone in the past for us as a country. So it concerns me that yet again, we're kind of looking at this figure in the case of George Santos, who's um, a Republican who has been very clear on his views as a lawmaker, it, separate from his ethical problems of that led to him being expelled from Congress altogether on December 1st, to look at that kind of figure who, you know, spoke at the day of, of Trump's encouragements on January 6th ahead of the insurrection, you know, who was supporting calls for questioning um, the validity of the election. Why are we not taking seriously that that's a person that, you know, isn't just supposed to be funny? Okay, so... I mean, there, I, I feel like there is probably something here that we agree on. But the part I agree on, maybe, uh, I'm just going to guess, is coming from the other direction. In other words, I think about things like uh, Harry and Meghan's interview in which they were talking about racism um, within the royal family. And that immediately became an internet meme and joke. And to me, that's concerning that we rush to turn things into clickable um, content that will, you know, get us more followers or whatever, make us go viral, um, so that we're diminishing actually big problems. Does that sort of jibe with what you're saying here? Yeah, that's really interesting. I think it's definitely similar. I mean, for sure, it's in this same vein of we are not taking things very seriously in our public discourse, for the most part, period. Like, uh, uh, so I think it definitely applies there. I think what uh, might be a difference, though, is in terms of, for example, like clips that went viral from the Oprah interview, like Oprah saying, were you silent or were you silenced? That's like a big, you know, big a big meme since uh, people are laughing at that being a funny, repeatable line. However, nobody is laughing at the fact that Meghan Markle experienced racist abuse in the royal family. For the most part, the public discourse is on the side of Meghan and Harry being standing out against the royal family and all that that stands for and finding moments of levity throughout and finding those kinds of meme moments therein. So I do think there's a little bit of a difference in kind of that situation versus a George Santos where we're going, that's hilarious that that guy is saying that stuff and that that guy is doing those things that are bad, that I don't like, that I don't agree with, but that's funny. So no one's saying it's funny that the royal family is racist, you know what I mean? So I think that's okay. where I feel like the distinction lies, yeah. So, I mean, it sounds like you're saying that we are not discriminating in who we allow to become internet celebrities. I mean, that we should be more discriminating, that truly awful people should not become should not go viral, shouldn't have millions and millions of TikTok followers. Is that what you're saying? I'm not necessarily saying that because I think there's no way to kind of 
litigate that. If, you know, if Hitler were alive, we'd all follow him on Twitter. You yeah. know, we all we all keep up with what bad public figures are saying and doing and for a reason, right? Like that's that's a, a regular part of the mainstream media. Yeah. Yes. Right, exactly. So I don't necessarily think it's like a it's an issue of attention. I think it's an issue of uh, the kind of tenor and tone of that discourse. So, for example, when, you know, ahead of the Z-Way interview with George Santos, people people were clamoring for that. You know, there were tons of posts saying, oh, we need to get him in the room with Z-Way. That's going to be hilarious. And in the end, as we heard at the early at the top of this episode, you know, he kind of he kind of won in that conversation in a way because in all of those major uh, clips that have gone viral from the interview, it was George Santos acknowledging that, yeah, sorry if you keep if you keep talking about me, if you keep inviting me on, I'll I'll keep being here. And I, th- I think it was a really telling point that, yes, we're going to keep watching, we're going to keep paying attention, but also now we're not concerned about that fact. We're still saying, oh, but haha, we just want to laugh. I think something interesting that I'm I'm curious your thoughts on Celeste, the fact of George Santos being um, a gay man in this role in you know his his you know very short term as a Republican lawmaker and being this kind of you know yossified figure to use a term that um, E J Dixon at Rolling Stone referenced him as in a in a recent story. That's not really sitting right with me. Sorry, I just for our listeners, I want to make sure they understand Ooh. that a yossification is like giving someone a, a, a internet Photoshop makeover, the, a glow up. One might say if you've watched that Netflix thing, you're making them look really good um, by using a picture, video changes. Yeah, okay, and I would say too on on you know, just to further in the in the way of yossifying, so to speak, someone, there is definitely an element of kind of like a queer sensibility around that idea. It's definitely something that comes definitely. Right. And so it's like coming from um, you know, the queer community is a lot of what that that kind of meme joke is. And so it's being in this context used as for someone who is who is a gay man, George Santos, um, who has, you know, there a lot of virality around uh, images of, of him in drag to then give this kind of treatment of um, almost not taking him seriously because of, of those elements is what it almost suggests to me. And that's I, I don't know. I'm curious what your thoughts are there. I mean, I, I definitely think that appropriation of um gay culture, which is rampant. Justification is not just the only thing, but we are seeing that everywhere, that the internet has made it possible um, for all kinds of people to pick up on language and um, uh, cultural artifacts, one might say, that uh, belong to certain communities that were created by certain communities mostly as as a form of their own identity and sometimes for protection so that they could talk about things without people understanding entirely what they're saying. Um, and that's always dangerous and it's always problematic when people do that. Um, I think though that, you know, George Santos lied about so many things, including his sexual identity um, that when other 
members of the queer community have made fun of George Santos. I found that to be okay. Mm, okay. But it sounds to me like you're saying even that, when they're ma- even if it's a member of his own community that's making a meme out of him, um, then that is a sort of a, that we should be concerned when those things go viral. I wonder if th- what I wonder if what you're talking about is similar to do you remember when Jimmy Fallon had Donald Trump on his show? Um mm-hmm. this would have been back in 2016 and he ruffled Donald Trump's hair. Right. It became really infamous because people weren't really taking Trump seriously yet. It was just part of this joke. Exactly. And then everyone said, see, look, this was this example of how dangerous this this was. Is that what you're saying? That by treating people who are possibly a danger to society as jokes, it means we don't take them seriously? Absolutely. I think that's a great example. I, I think really a challenge in Trump discourse has been that he is an entertainer first, you know, and he is funny. He says things that are that are often comedic and make people laugh, even people who don't agree with him and think he is heinous and don't want him in office. There's still tons of clips of Trump saying, you know, quote unquote, funny things um, on the campaign trail that still today go viral on leftist social circles. Um, And so I think even still, we're not really taking him seriously in the way of, I think if we do let ourselves laugh too much, how can we also hold sight of the fact that this is a person who led to an insurrection on the U.S. Capitol? Um, It's kind of like it, it almost such a tight line to walk that I think people are so struggling with it and so quick to just go to the easy uh, kind of light laughing element. I think as another example, too, that I think of now is um, Lauren Boebert, um, the videos go- spreading of her being, you know, groped in a theater um, when, you know, she is a lawmaker who has said tons of, you know, incendiary things around um gay and trans folks in the U.S. and and how they they pose dangers to society in her view. And meanwhile, here she is out in in public view, uh, showing kind of the the height of hypocrisy in that way. We have to take a break in just a minute, but let me just say as a, a bit of a pushback, and I'll let you respond to this when we come back, that lots of things about Bobert go viral. For She recently said she's concerned about the way that January 6th hostages mm. are being treated um and that that description of these criminals <laughs> those who are in jail have been convicted of crimes serious crimes her description of them as hostages has absolutely sparked a lot of internet memes and discussion and op-eds uh even among the conservative community so to me it feels like that yes people are watching that video of her being groped and and basically behaving horribly in the theater, but they're also paying attention to what she says. Now, I'm going to give you a chance to respond to that, but we have to take a break first. I will be back in just a moment. This is Hear Me Out, a podcast from Slate. Stay with us. And we're back. I'm Celeste Headley. This is Hear Me Out, a podcast from Slate, where we disagree without arguing. And what we're talking about today is whether or not we make fun of things too quickly 
And that ends up being a problem when we should have taken them seriously instead of laughing. Um, I hope I've, I've described that well. We have Rachel Greenspan with us, writer, social strategist, making that point. And before the break, I mentioned that I thought people paid attention to both the ludicrous behavior of Lauren, Lauren Boebert and the concerning things that she says. What do you think? Yeah, I think it's definitely a good point, which, to be clear, all of Celeste's points are great. That's why we discuss without arguing. Um, but I think what it comes down to, I guess, really then is kind of more on a person-to-person basis, and it's a moment for reflection. I, I think a lot of folks seem to choose to only care about some of these lawmakers when it is that kind of silly, ha-ha, laughing-at-you uh, kind of way and then ignore a lot of the more concerning political elements. Um, and I think that in a, to a degree, not to always bring it back to January 6th, but I do think most of the country was shocked by January 6th. Most people didn't think that was actually possible and didn't expect that folks were, were genuinely feeling those feelings because people weren't kind of taking seriously the um, radicalization of right, the right wing. Um, and people... I think a lot of a lot of the time, I think people who are more to the left, who are more um, kind of considering themselves maybe even outside of the political sphere, and they're just kind of, you know, voting Democrat and tweeting and whatever. They're not like super, super actively engaged in following what's going on in Washington. Not to say that there's something, you know, inherently wrong with that ever to, to each their own. You know, we all have our own values and priorities. But I think it, it just... I would urge people to kind of check themselves on, am I laughing at this Republican lawmaker who's doing this bad thing and I'm not actually feeling emboldened and encouraged and inspired to understand that perhaps this suggests something deeply scary and dangerous about our country moving forward? Not to say that everyone needs to be terrified and upset all the time either you know that's why i think it is like you say this so this is where i have to push back a little bit rachel because look i'm a journalist i have to read all this stuff all the time um but i also have developed a relatively thick skin to it where it doesn't affect me emotionally i don't think the majority of the country has that kind of thick skin absolutely and the outrage cycle can be exhausting um and so i think that for many people a young people um today the, well, I'm Gen X, but people younger than boomers, especially, are more politically active than they have been for decades. And um, so that leads me to believe that people are paying attention. But at the same time, what's wrong with with coping, the coping strategy of being able to laugh about the things that might otherwise scare you to death? What's wrong with that? No, you're right. I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with, you know, coping in that way. And of course, also to be clear, I myself will will admit right here, I have laughed at many a meme of George Santos, for example, right? Like I'm not immune to this either. I think it's something that we're all experiencing in the culture, right? And I'm a, just a member of that culture yeah. too. So I just, um, again, totally agree. I think, you know, we can't expect people to be engaged in the 24-7 outrage cycle that is our political discourse of the United States in this era. But I do think still there has to still be that fine line of are we treating this as entirely a joke or are we holding those two truths at once? I think another good example is 
Marjorie Taylor Greene, who, especially in the beginning of her term, said such bizarre things that were very easy to laugh at, like uh, Jews have laser beams from space, whenever some such she had said at the time. But a lot of people were just kind of like, that stuff is crazy. She's crazy. And I think when we're so quick to say like, we're to say to to view things that way, we're kind of discounting the fact of how many people do see the world on her side of things. And so again, it's not to say that we need to be so like devastated. And I don't I'm, you know, not encouraging anyone to like, make themselves feel worse about the state of things all the time. I think it's just like, Sometimes things are so wild and so devastating that we have no choice but to make light of it. And definitely that's where our internet culture is has moved towards, clearly. So again, not to say that everyone at large doesn't see that. I think it's just a matter of us all needing to like hold those two truths at once. So I, I want to be clear for those so that everyone can keep up with us. In 2018, Marjorie Taylor Greene um, spouted a conspiracy theory that the wildfires that were at that point raging were because of possibly because of lasers, space lasers. <laughs> um, Which is funny. And, it's and funny to just to say that it, it, it is. It is funny. And it's and it's stupid. OK, but the thing for me is like you also mentioned this phenomenon also trickling into non-political spaces. And you also think that's a problem. And and Gypsy Rose Blanchard was an example of that. And so, again, this is a this is a still very young woman who was imprisoned uh, because she abetted in the murder of her mother and just was just released on parole. And she has become an obsession for a lot of people. You know, society, right or wrong, gets obsessed with a lot of problematic people. I mean, we seem to have an unending, in the United States at least, an unending thirst for media and content about serial killers. So how is this different from that? Absolutely. No, I mean, and I, I would... I'm not comparing Gypsy oh, Rose yeah. Blanchard to a serial killer. I'm just saying. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yes, absolutely. I think, uh, I think for me, it seems that this is part of that larger conversation of, you know, why do we have so many Jeffrey Dahmer series and why do we need to watch all of these TikTok videos about that? Yeah. I think the Gypsy Rose story definitely has, you know, significant strength from the true crime obsession, right? Like that zeitgeist around, um, you know, a murder, but a murder that everyone feels comfortable saying uh, isn't, quote unquote, that bad in the sense that people know that she killed her own mother out of, as was argued in court um essentially self-defense of and to be clear she did not personally murder her mother she um was imprisoned for second degree murder her then partner uh carried out the the act um but i think there's a great um hbo documentary that came out in i think 2017 about it it was called uh mommy dead and dearest in case any listeners want to see the backstory on this but go ahead yeah and then there's also um a fictionalization of of the story that was a limited series on, I believe, Hulu. I think it was actually called The Act. And then now there's a new Lifetime series um, or two two part, I think, limited series about Gypsy Rose's time in in prison. And so part of why we're seeing so much of her, too, is because she's been on this press tour to promote her Lifetime series, which I think just at least the first part of it's already been released um, as of our recording this conversation. But 
I, I think, first of all, yes, of course, our culture loves true crime, loves, uh, you can't get enough of these stories. But I think also it's still this element of that's almost like an antihero in a way for us to root for. And the discourse around Gypsy Rose as, you know, this kind of antihero um, icon, you know, whatever terms people are using for her, um, that a lot of the language is the same language that's used to describe someone like George Santos. And I think part of it, you know, Celeste, you mentioned this earlier, part of it is a mass appropriation of queer culture and language across, you know, Twitter and TikTok in particular. Yeah. And and African-American culture exactly. as well. Yep. I wonder if you would agree then, I, I read an article in researching for this interview. I read this article in which they quoted Claudia uh, Villarreal. She's at FanMade. And she said something interesting. She said, there's a huge difference between a social media influencer saying, buy this product, and Gypsy. She doesn't need to be selling anything to have her audience care about her. Being herself is going to be the sell. And, and I wonder if that distinction is important to you. The distinction between somebody who is gaining followers because of who they are and the person that they are is problematic or appropriating and those who are straight up capitalists that are like, I'm beautiful and thin and I'm going to make money by modeling the clothes that I get for free. Is there a difference? I do not believe that there's a difference. I think that's an interesting take. She's for sure going to make money from this. I mean, uh, attention. We're an attention economy, of course. Like being a social media star can lead to huge financial success. Um, she'll get a million dollars for for one TikTok about a product easily in the near future. Um, and I'm not. I'm not. You know, criticizing that. I'm not saying that. You know, folks should not get the money that our capitalist society is willing to give them for for enacting those goods and services. But I, I don't necessarily think that there's a big difference. I think yes, she has. She has a very charismatic personality for sure. Like she's Gypsy Rose and like is does great in interviews. She makes fun kind of very intimate feeling uh, TikTok content. So people have kind of more of an easy parasocial attachment to her. Um, and I think the same is true for George Santos. He's great on camera. He makes money from making uh, cameos for people. I'm sure Gypsy Rose will, will do the same. Um, people want to hear from the people that they like, that they enjoy and they like listening to, the reason that influencers exist, the reason that we have such a major influencer economy now is because of the personalities. And I think there are a lot of, you know, influencers with concerning personality. A lot of folks who encourage the insurrection are major influencers with hundreds of thousands and, you know, millions of followers and so on and so forth. But um, no, so I just, I, I don't, I don't really see it that way that there's such a, a big difference in you know, her now role versus anyone else who's a quote unquote influencer. I mean, so people are going to make memes of, of people when they do funny stuff, whether it's the Michael Jordan crying meme that will not go away, or it's there's been a ton of memes about Tom Hanks. There's been a ton of memes about the Kardashians, right? Uh, ironically, uh, them also crying. But um, who who makes that distinction between the people who are are not serious enough and therefore it's okay to meme them. <laughs> and those people who are perhaps a danger to, to society and we should 
hesitate before memeing them. Like all the memes that make fun of Justin Bieber, Bieber, for example, or the memes that made fun of that Chinese spy balloon. Is that too serious an issue for us to make fun of? I, I will say in terms of meme creation and virality, I, I think our culture has spoken. It is clear nothing is off limits for memeing to a certain degree. I think whatever someone's view is, they will create a meme that is reflective of that. That's kind of like the way that we communicate now. And so I don't think that there's any use kind of like policing that in a way. Um, but I think the way that we talk about these people, which, you know, memes are one part of that. Uh, it's like, you know, part of our language now as a on the whole is what is kind of needs to be considered. So I don't necessarily think it's like, uh, you know, as easy as if I were to say like memes about this type of person are bad memes about this are fine. I don't I don't I'm not trying to, you know, make that case. Okay, so we need to take another break. Um, there's still more, I, I still have a couple more questions for you. Um, as I try to wrap my head around a concept I never took seriously until you brought it up. Um, the, the dangers of memeing people who are a danger to society, a possible danger to society. We are talking uh, with Rachel Greenspan and I'm Celeste Headley. We'll be back in just a moment on Hear Me Out. And we're back. I'm Celeste Headley. With me is Rachel Greenspan talking about the dangers of memeing people. I'm going to say that rather than yassification. <laughs> uh, this is Hear Me Out. And we have just a few minutes left, and I and I want to kind of dig into this idea of when it's okay to meme and when it isn't. And I wonder what you think of the idea that making fun of people for most of history has helped to defang them. Um, in other words, until Trump, you know, when you had somebody wearing a ludicrously overly large helmet in a tank, they lost the presidential election. When you had people made fun of all kinds of presidential figures, and oftentimes that was the downfall of their campaign when they became an object of ridicule. And I can imagine people saying, hold on, these memes, that's what these memes are doing. They are designed to make these people an object of ridicule and make it impossible to take them seriously. Now, I want to leave Trump out of this because he seems to be an exception to so many different rules. But what do you make of that idea? I think the the big distinction there, it's that ridicule layer that you mentioned. I think, agree, we can, we can leave Trump off of it for now. I think George Santos, there's a huge degree to which he is not quite being ridiculed. Um, he's being kind of more celebrated in in the way that we're discussing him as a figure. And I think that's where it gets tough. I think, of course, also, you know, so many discussions around stand-up comedy in, in our world right now and, you know, what's okay to joke about, what's not okay to joke about. And, you know, so many comics will go, uh, I'm allowed to say whatever I want, actually. that's And Ricky Gervais just won um, the Golden Globe for best comedy special. And in that special, he made fun of people who didn't like what he had said and said, haha, guess what? I still can say, you know, whatever I want. Um, I mean, sure, you can say whatever you want. We live in a country with free speech. So yes, legally, Ricky Gervais, you can say whatever you want, but that doesn't mean people will like whatever you say. 
And I think it's all about who in truth is the object of that ridicule. I think in terms of like looking deeper in that stand-up comedy example, there are tons of trans stand-up comics who do, you know, amazing sets around their tr- the trans experience. Um, and they, they make jokes about trans people and trans culture because they're not punching down. They're part of that that culture. They're they're laughing with their community. When Dave Chappelle makes jokes about trans people, he is ridiculing folks who do who are undeserving of that ridicule. So and in the way that this connects to what we were talking about before is you're talking about when clips of those specials then go viral. Because people do take clips and turn them into internet posts on TikTok, on on Insta, and they they do go viral. So you'll see that one, that joke that Dave Chappelle made again and again and again and again. Is that where this connects? Yes, in in a way. And then and then also the concept of being funny and the attempt of being funny is so ingrained in the user experience of showing up on social media now. And so logging on the a, a huge goal for many users across platforms, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, YouTube, even Facebook still, you know, you kind of you want to be, quote unquote, funny. There is um, a, a layer of that. And so looking at even in the industry of professional comedians whose job it is, they're having this same kind of conversation around what's OK to laugh at versus what's not. And I think for me, the same rules apply to existing as a regular, you know, user on social media where, sure, if you want to try and be funny about something that is upsetting or something that is bad or dangerous or whatever, you know, you're not not allowed to to try and, you know, create levity and humor around that. It's all about, again, who and what and how is the ridicule coming through? I mean, first of all, I'll say that the vast majority of people aren't funny. Um, they want most to be, of us though. are not funny. <laughs> Yes, everybody wants to be funny, but most people are not funny on the reg, right? Most people can tell, say something funny every once in a while, but if they try to be funny, most people aren't. That's why, you know, it's hard to be a stand-up comedian. I will say that. And I also say that some of the quote-unquote jokes people post on social media that they defend by saying it was just a joke don't qualify because they weren't funny. Um, I don't know if that means I'm agreeing with you or not, <laughs> but um, I will say that many of these so-called funny memes aren't funny at all to me. Um, they don't have comedic value. On the on the other hand, I I I get what you're saying that we should like if I was a societal critic and you're a social strategist, so it makes sense that you would be concerned about this. But as as me, uh, who's just like every once in a while skimming through my Instagram feed. I'm not sure how on the ground concerned I should be, whether that, I mean, I myself don't repost those. So is, is there something else I should be doing, do you think, as just a regular consumer of social media? Am I supposed to be doing something else? Am I supposed to be telling people not to post those things? No, that's a great question. I, I don't think there's necessarily any onus on, on you know, you in this scenario to take any particular action beyond just to kind of you know, reflecting internally at times, I I will say I I do this when I when I have laughed at a George Santos meme. I and again, like you said, I'm a social strategist. I am a writer who ta- writes about internet culture. Like this is this is my thing that I think about all the time. So of course, I'm going to think about it more than the average person. 
But there is, it is worth it to check in with yourself and go, is this funny because, and finish the sentence. Like, what we, you know, why do I find this funny? Why do I find this entertaining? And I think if everyone did that, we'd have a lot easier conversations around politics, around comedy. Um, I think there are a lot of professional comedians who aren't actually asking the question of why is this funny? Because a lot of the times the answer is it's funny because I'm, you know, making fun of a person or a group who is undeserving of that ridicule. Or it's funny because, you know, Republican Republicans like George Santos are so, uh, you know, stupid anyway that I'm going to just laugh at them because they're just so dumb and it doesn't matter. And then Trump becomes president again. And it's like, uh oh, wait, oops, I didn't mean that. Yeah. I mean, it's still okay for me to post the DJ Khaled uh, dancing. <laughs> Always. Right? I mean, I, that's okay. It's still okay for me to, uh, to, to post the TSA employee skit. <laughs> um, Everything's okay. But I see. Everything's okay. All right. Well, <laughs> I mean, you've given me something. I got to be honest. You've given me a lot to think about. And these are things I really hadn't considered. And, you know, in a way, that's kind of your job, right? Is to make us think about these things uh, more intentionally instead of just consuming social media like we consume popcorn in a movie theater mindlessly. Is that exactly. fair? <laughs> exactly. Which I love consuming popcorn mindlessly in the theater as well. So yeah, I, I get it. <laughs> I do. So this was a concept I hadn't really thought about before Rachel Greenspan brought it to us. And I wonder what you think. Have you considered this before? Do you agree with Rachel? Or do you think we should stop navel gazing and just let jokes be jokes? Um, maybe you're somewhere in the middle, but we want to hear your thoughts. You can email us, hearmeout at slate.com. Now, last week we had Frank Buckley on. Uh, giving a defense of Trump voters. And I know we say sometimes that we get a lot of mail on topics, which is true, but we were basically buried. If, if emails were physical, we would have been having trouble reaching the door. We were buried in mail about that conversation. And we are so glad that you all took the time to write in. And believe me, we read every email. Um, the emails we got represented a huge diversity of viewpoints on the topic, but we want to share just one of those viewpoints. This is a note we got from a listener named Chad. Chad says, hi, Slate team. I really wanted to take something valuable away from this podcast, but the way things got tense felt unproductive and honestly made me not want to engage with Trump or conservative-leaning voters. So ultimately, I don't feel like the podcast achieved its goal and maybe should have been labeled differently. I understand the challenge presented is difficult and maybe the guest is to blame for the way he engaged with the host, but nonetheless, I was disappointed. Anyway, hoping 2024 doesn't get too crazy, but I'm hoping I don't have to turn away from all political podcasts. So Chad, let me just respond from my own Celeste's point of view and say that the point of this podcast is to show that we can disagree sometimes in ways that are difficult and tense and, and walk away not having diminished the other person's humanity. I want to be able to disagree with someone without dehumanizing them. And in that sense, I feel like that conversation was successful. Uh, I always want to demonstrate how you can do that. I mean, Frank Buckley and I were never going to agree. That's 
kind of the point of the show. He comes on the show. He is considered. I mean, as, believe me, I'm a journalist. I speak to all kinds of people from all over the spectrum. Many right wing pundits, especially, are not reasonable because I have to fact check them constantly. And that's true of people on the left wing as well, but even more so, especially lately, on the conservative side. Frank is one of the more reasonable ones, but we were never going to agree. Um, And sometimes that's tense. And I, I hope you don't turn away from all political podcasts. I hope you find the ones that are still based in facts and evidence and are still civil and allow you to hear reasonable people sharing their views. That's what I hope, Chad. Anyway, we always love to hear your thoughts. It is hearmeout at slate.com. Hear Me Out is a podcast from Slate. The show is produced by the very reasonable Maura Curry. Ben Richmond is the sane senior director of podcast operations. And Alicia Montgomery is our wise VP of Slate Audio. I'm your host, Celeste Headley. And until next time, I hope you speak your mind, but keep it open. (laughs) 